Good morning, church. So as Chess let us know, this morning we are talking about harmony, which Chess does so well in so many ways. Amen. Yeah. And unity. And um, I'm just so struck by how the Lord goes before. We're going to talk about unity and what it looks like when the body works together in unity and diversity. And yet this morning we've already seen such a beautiful picture of what it looks like for the diverse body of Christ to work together and to bear one another's burdens. And so um, we're doing this well already, and yet I think the Lord has more for us, more unity, more growing together as one, more representing that one body that God intended. And so I'm excited to dig in. If you're visiting with us, um, we've been on a journey of consecration. So we've been working through Paul's letter to the Corinthians, the first Corinthians, and talking about what it looks like to be set apart as the body of Christ. A couple weeks ago, we talked about unity at the communion table. And you might remember this is that situation where you've got the rich people consuming all of the communion feast and the poor people being left out and how this is just so egregious because the cross at communion is the one place where we should all be so unified. And from that place, Paul starts to talk about the spiritual gifts. And last week, Pastor Gina gave us this beautiful like appetizer teaser platter of the gifts of the spirit. Do you remember this? She shared testimony of how the gifts manifest and how beautiful it is. And then this week, it almost feels like Paul is going to go backwards. Like we're talking about unity again. Like Paul, (laughs) we've talked about unity so many times. And yet somehow, there's something important about unity as it applies to the spiritual gifts. And so that's where we're going this morning. What more does Paul have to say about unity? And what does it look like in the context of gifts? And so to explore that, we are in 1 Corinthians 12. And we're going to read 12 to 31. You've got your Bibles with you. So starting at verse 12. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slaves or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, 
And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weakest are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. Well, our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. And if one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. This is the word of the Lord. So as I said, this morning has already been a beautiful representation of the body working together. Um, And as I was preparing for this message, I was also struck by um, the noon prayer meeting this week. So you've probably, many of you have probably heard us talk about this. Every Wednesday at noon, there's a Zoom call, and you're welcome to it. And we come together as a body, and we seek the Lord's guidance on how to pray, and we pray together. So if you'd like to invest in that, subscribe for the All Church email. You can find it on the website, and we'll send you a link. It'll be great. But... This week was beautiful. Every week at noon prayer is beautiful, but this week in particular was so profound. So every time we get together, you get this diverse group. We've got older people, we've got younger people, we've got females, we've got males, we've got some people that are really comfortable praying out loud, and others that tend to pray more quietly. There's a vast representation of gifts, so some people pray scripture, some people receive songs, some people... Um, have prophetic words to share. Typically, we like to sit and ask the Lord what is on his heart, and we try to pray in unity, and often he puts us in unity around like a theme or an idea or something to pray about. And this week, as we shared what we received, there were so many things. (laughs) And it didn't really seem to necessarily click together. And yet, as we began to pray, it was like the Lord just put this beautiful tapestry together where everything that every person had brought just made this beautiful prayer for the world. We prayed for the Ukraine. We prayed for Russia. We prayed for this church in this neighborhood. We prayed for classes. We prayed from scripture. We prayed from songs. We prayed from images. It was incredible. And I think in some sense it represents what Paul is describing when everyone comes with their pieces. Because the body of Christ was designed to be diverse and yet unified. And when it operates that way, it bears 
tremendously beautiful fruit, as it has already this morning. And that design that God has made for multiple pieces to work together represents that harmony that Chess was talking about. This is precisely why disunity or a lack of diversity within the body is such a danger. Because we miss all that when we're not operating in diverse unity. Now this is a seemingly simple point. And yet, as I said earlier, we've had so many sermons in 1 Corinthians about unity already, haven't we? We've talked about it a lot. And I think it's because it's so important. And I think it's because there's still more to say about it. We've heard about disunity in race and class and gender and socioeconomic status. But how is disunity an issue when we're looking at spiritual gifts? And as I look at this text, I think we've got two problems that Paul is addressing as far as disunity goes. So if you look at verses 15 to 19, they seem to indicate that some in Corinth are struggling to see their own individual value for the body. They don't understand their role. And whether that's because of apathy, they just don't care, or insecurity. It might even be comparison with other people or criticism, but some are self-selecting to not use their gifts among the body. So let's look at this. It says, now if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand... I don't belong to the body. Now, this sounds ridiculous, right? If if I'm not this, I can't be here. (laughs) And if the ear should say, because I'm not the eye, I don't belong to this body, it would not cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. And if they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts in one body. Now, Paul chooses his examples really intentionally. Like, he didn't just randomly pick parts of the body. So I lived in the Middle East for several years, and in Eastern culture, feet are really shameful. You know, like, if you came to my house and sat on the couch, you could put your feet up and I wouldn't be offended. But in the Middle East, you do not show your feet in ancient Eastern culture. You take your shoes off when you go to worship. Remember, Moses had to take his sandals off with that burning bush. Feet are incredibly shameful in this context. And so you can hear the context here, right? Like a person is speaking from a place of shame. Like what I have to bring is dirty or less than or bad. And so I'm not going to bring it. In the same way, eyes are seen as more important than ears. Something about eyes being a picture into the soul, and ears are sort of extra. So what I've got isn't as good as what someone else has. So I'm not going to bring it. So from this, we can deduce that some are feeling shameful or unworthy or invaluable, and some are even comparing themselves to others. And the gifts that they bring. Some of them feel as if they've got nothing valuable to bring to the body. This is not a problem isolated to Corinth, is it? What does this look like today? How many times haven't you heard statements like, well, 
You know, I'm not really a pastor or a teacher, so I can't. It's not really my thing. I'm not, I'm not really a very gifted musician, so I, I don't really want to be part of that worship team. I'm a new believer, or I'm not that educated, or I'm not paid staff. Any number of I'm not statements that we use to eliminate ourselves from serving. The comparison line, right? Like, well, you know, so-and-so has such a beautiful voice. Why, why would I bring mine? It looks like hiding. It looks like shame and fear of stepping out. And it looks like comparison and sometimes even jealousy. And I know I'm guilty of this, right? Like I remember one of the first things I told the Lord when I ended up in seminary was, Lord, anything but preaching. You know, <laughs> here we are. The Lord is funny. Comparison and jealousy are thieves. And they steal from you and me and they steal from the body. It's just that simple. And so Paul has a lot to say about that. He says that God is a good designer. And he's placed these parts together, every single one of them, perfectly the way he wants them. And he takes great delight in each and every one. He also says that the body has many parts. We see that word many multiple times. It's, it's not a nailed down number. So like we know that the human body has 206 bones. That's it. If you've got an extra, there's a problem. Not the way with the body of Christ. There are many. Again and again and again. The number doesn't stop. It's not like, oh, we've hit all the slots. You guys are done. It's many. Every part has a function. And the body needs every single part. So there's no point in being jealous in one another. Because we need one another. There's a wise pastor that has a quote that I actually wrote down at one point in my faith development journey, and he said, Jealous Christians just don't know who they are. You'd never be jealous of somebody else if you knew who you were. You'd never want somebody else's gift if you knew why you were alive. In the body of Christ, we are each called to make work of understanding what gifts we've been given. To see the value, the inherent value that he designed us with, and to find spaces and places to use those gifts. In the body of Christ, we are called to name and call out and celebrate gifts that we see in each other. As Paul says, we are called to rejoice when one another use our gifts. In the body of Christ, no one's here to just receive. Now, there are seasons where maybe it's not time to serve. But we have all something. We all have something to bring. We're inherently designed to serve a purpose. And each one of us has a gift to use. So that's that first problem. Paul's not done. If you look at verses 21 to 26, we've sort of got the the same problem, the coin, the other side of the coin. There's an eloquent way to say that, that I'm missing it. But it's the flip side of the same coin. 21 to 26 addresses the issue of self-sufficiency within the body. And I think a lot of us are guilty of this one too. I know I am. So if we read it, it says, The eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. 
And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unrepresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. For if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. And if one is honored, every part rejoices with it. So from this, we can deduce that there were people in the Corinthian church who felt that they didn't need other members or other gifts. We saw this with the communion meals, right? Like the rich people just really didn't want the poor people at the party. Every part of the body, the hidden parts, the dirty parts, the seemingly unimportant parts, and even the sick parts are all connected. You can't kick them out. They have an impact, and they all have a purpose. Now, again, this is not an exclusively Corinthian problem, is it? As I was thinking about this, you know, you've got the local body and the larger body and the broader body. And I did some digging, and I found that researchers say that there are at least 200 Christian denominations in the U.S. alone and a staggering 45,000 Christian denominations in the world. And how many of us have said to one another, because you think differently about X, Y, and Z, we don't need you? It's astounding. That's why we have so many denominations. We've disregarded one another because of differences or disagreements throughout the years. When we talked about unity at communion, we also talked about these labels that we put on one another. You know, you're... You're liberal, you're conservative, you're this, you're that, and we use those labels to disregard one another. How many people have we decided have no place in our lives or value in our world because of their views or opinions or because we've had conflict with them? Nowadays, we are so quick to disregard one another, aren't we? Like, oh, I didn't like what you posted, I'm going to unfollow you, like... I don't particularly like what that aunt or uncle thinks about this, so I'm not doing family dinner. On a smaller scale, even in this room, are there individuals within our body that we don't know because we don't see them as valuable? We've subconsciously labeled them as, like, not worth our time or our energy. People aside, what about spiritual gifts? As we listened to Pastor Gina's examples last week, were there gifts that we kind of just went, uh, that one makes me a little squeamish. <laughs> I don't really like tongues. and Don't talk to me about prophecy. Paul has a lot to say about these things because all of these things have value for the body. One part of the body cannot dismiss another. You might think they're gone, but they're still here. <laughs> like, you can't dismember this body. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking about the appendix in our physical body. You know, people say we don't need appendixes. You can take them out. I'm sure there's lots of people here who ha- don't have them, right? And yet researchers are finding in the modern era that the appendix might actually have something to do with your immune system. Obviously, we can live without them. There are many people in the room that are living without them. And yet, 
God did not put something in our body that has no purpose. And if your appendix gets cancer, it can still take out your whole body. Toes. I had a friend who lost a big toe, and it took him months to learn to walk again straight. Now, you would think a toe is pretty irrelevant, right? Like, of all the things, every part is necessary, whether visible or invisible, whether loud or quiet, whether standing up in front of church or sitting quietly in the back wings. Each part has value. We place honor on the louder or more obvious parts, right? Like, historically, the church has really placed pastors up here, and everything else is kind of down here, right? And there's like a a ranking system. But Paul says that God gives special honor to the hidden parts. So you think um, a body can live without an arm, but can it live without a heart? You can't see my heart, but God has made this body to protect it at all costs because we need it. Bodies can't be reproduced without reproductive organs. And those are seen as shameful. We cover them. Even in a world that doesn't know how to honor, God knows how to honor the hidden parts, the shameful parts, the sick parts. Every part of the body is interdependent on every other part. If one part suffers, every other part suffers with it. And if one part is honored, so if one part of the body gets worked really hard at the gym, the rest of the body benefits. But if any part of the body is sick, the rest of the body gets sick too, like that appendix and cancer. We can't separate ourselves from any other part of the body, whether sick or healthy, comfortable or uncomfortable. And we cannot be selfish, whether in our shame or our self-sufficiency. We must be interdependent. As one commentator put it, the parts of the body work together. The eyes and the ears don't serve themselves, but the whole body. The hands don't feed and defend themselves, but the whole body. The heart does not only supply blood to itself, but it supplies the whole body. Sometimes there is a part of our body that only lives to serve itself. It doesn't contribute anything to the rest of the body, and everything it gets is used to feed and grow itself, and we call that cancer. And that's not what God intended. In the body of Christ, we're called to care when one part is sick. We're called to look for and name and celebrate the gifts and value of each member, however hidden or quiet or insignificant. We're called to make space for each gift that God has given, and we are called to depend on one another. We're one body. You see that word one six times in Paul's opening statements. Just as one body, though one, has many parts, but all many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body. Whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free, we were all given the same spirit to drink, that one spirit. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but many. Paul continues this point as he closes this section in 27. 
He says, now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles and gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, of different tongues. And then he's got all these rhetorical questions. Are all, of, are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. He goes on. Now, as Paul closes, this might be a little confusing, right? Because I just told you every part has value. And yet we've got this rank system. <laughs> so what's that about? This is really the pinnacle of what Paul's trying to say. The order of this list is based on each gift's capacity to bless the church. At the top of the list are apostles who start and lead ministries and prophets who communicate the word of God. These gifts build up large portions of the body of Christ in direct ways. And further down the list are tremendously good gifts that are used in smaller contexts. Now the point that Paul is making is that our goal in having gifts should not be for us to build ourselves up or to puff up for others. Our goal in having gifts should be to use them to build up and encourage the body of Christ. We should desire gifts that best help us to do that work of building and encouraging the body. And so this morning, if you feel a little bit like a foot or an ear, as if you have very little value or gifts to bring to this body, God's grace to us this morning is an invitation to see the unique gift that you bring to this body. There's no need for insecurity or comparison here. God has made each one of us with purpose. He takes delight in each one, and the body of Christ needs you. And if this morning you feel a sense of conviction, perhaps we've disregarded people because we assume they didn't have value. Perhaps we've canceled someone because we disagreed with them. Perhaps we've avoided spiritual gifts that stretch us and put us outside of our comfort zone. God's grace to us this morning is an invitation to open our eyes, to see diverse beauty all around us. It might be an invitation to do some confession or repentance. It, It might be to have a conversation with someone we've avoided or to do some research on a gift that makes us nervous. Each manifestation of God in each one of us and in the gifts that we bring gives us a glimpse of him. As image bearers, we represent our God. As we use our gifts, we represent our God, his power, his presence, and his abilities. And so together we should love for each other to manifest our gifts. Because in doing so, we get to know our God more. We've all been given the same spirit and different gifts for the good of all and for the building up of the body. Over the years, we've used a a picture, and I apologize, I didn't get a picture up there, of like a rug, a tapestry being woven, and it's got different colors, and each thread is of a different texture, and it's all being woven together, and in the back, it looks a little messy. Have you seen the back of like a rug being made? But the front, it's this beautiful picture that's clear. And we've used that to talk about different parts and situations of our lives, but I think this also applies to the body that each one of us has a role to play in representing God to the world. Amen? Let's pray.
God, we thank you that your heart is for us to be one. Lord, you didn't make us to be in disunity. You didn't make us to be in conflict. You didn't make us to compare against one another or to disregard one another. God, you made us to celebrate one another. You made each one of us to know our value and have places to see that and use that value. And so, Lord, we ask that you would do that work of making us one. That if there are gifts that we have um, put on the shelf or disregarded, would you point that out to us and invite us to use them? And if there are gifts that we have um, disregarded or left out, God, we pray that you would convict us of that too. And that there would be space made for each one to step into what you've designed them for. Lord, we praise you as a good designer. We ask that you would help us to feel your delight in each one of us. And Lord, we ask that you would make us ever more one in you and in your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.